0: Isn't it crazy that you will see an athlete that's probably top notch in their sport? I mean, from an athletic standpoint or a skill set standpoint, they are often the top of the top, right? Cream of the crop, they say. But mentally, they check out of games or check out of their sport because they just haven't been able to build the skill sets and competencies that are required to have their mental game on the same level as their athletic side of things and their skill set of the game, the physical side, right? Well, today we're talking to an expert here out of the Treasure Valley of Idaho who is going to be bringing a game-changing, groundbreaking event and experience to Idaho to help the athletes, the young athletes, with the mental side of the sport that they compete in. It's going to be huge. I want you guys to tune into this one and listen up closely. Take your notepads out. Take notes on this one because you're going to be listening to a professional in this realm who is going to help. He's trying to help out. All these athletes really level up on the mental side of things, things that you, you'll understand once you start hearing him talk about it, you'll understand why that's going to be so impactful for these athletes. You're going to hear about an event that's coming up. It's a camp that's going to be coming up here locally in the, in the month of July. So stay tuned, take notes. You don't want to miss this episode of the game time guru. So what time is it? Game Time. This is the game time guru podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. what's going on everybody welcome out to another episode of the game time guru podcast as you guys know my name is shane larson host of the show six and a half years running here uh, as you guys heard in the introduction we got another interview coming your way super interesting one that today it's unique uh not one that we have had many times here on the show as far as the the industry and the topic so i'm excited to bring our guest on and i'll introduce him in just a second just a quick reminder for all those who are listening if this is your first time listening and even if it's not i just want to say welcome aboard i appreciate you guys tuning into the show Um, If you're watching this on YouTube, I don't have a ton of YouTube followers, only like 360 at the time of this recording. But if you guys wouldn't mind giving me a follow on YouTube, I know we have listeners in 180 countries, all 50 states on the audio side of things. We've we've built that. But uh, if you guys want to listen and watch on YouTube, feel free to do so. And uh, if you guys haven't done so, if you have an Apple device, which if you're watching this, I got my iPhone right here. I always take notes while I'm talking to my guests. I'd encourage you guys to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, let us know what you think of this interview after you, you hear from our guest today. And leave us a five-star review. It, it always helps. The more reviews that the podcast gets, the more people it gets pushed out to. That's kind of the algorithm in a nutshell. Uh, I don't hide that from anybody. I think every podcaster tries to keep it quiet. I don't. The more reviews you get, the more uh, people to, that this will be pushed out to. And I want more and more people to be able to hear from our guests. So please leave us a review that would help us out immensely. So... As you guys heard in the introduction, we're going to be talking about a, a topic that's super interesting to me. Um, it's it's one of those things that um, I take very seriously. I think it's, a, it's an underrated part of sports that doesn't get talked about enough, and so we're bringing on a professional to help us with that. But this guy, we call him an LCPC, so he's a licensed clinical professional counselor, but he's got many titles, um, and he has... You know, a background in powerlifting, and he's also an expert with sports psychology, and he understands the mental side of the game. And he's going to be sharing his expertise with us today. His name is Garrett Krohn. Garrett, thanks for joining the show, man.
1: Thanks for having me, Shane.
0: Absolutely, brother. We want to get to know you a little bit more as an athlete first before we get into the professional side of things. Um, as this being a, a sports-based podcast, the listeners want to know more about you as an athlete. So, Garrett, I want to rewind the clock a little bit. You have talked to me, you know, off-camera as far as you know, what your background was and you have a powerlifting background, but I want to actually ask you this too. When you were growing up, did you compete in any other sports or anything? And, and, um, like what was your athletic background like as a kid?
1: That's such a great question. I, I always liked sports growing up, but I was really into books and I was kind of a reader played with a lot of action figures and GI Joes and stuff like that. When I was a kid, I lived in Tennessee and all, all my friends played football. And so I started playing football in the third or fourth grade, went straight into the tackle football, didn't really have a lot of exposure to it, but I learned that if I just showed up and tried really hard and uh, kind of threw my body into the fray, wasn't afraid to, to hit or get hit, that good things would happen for me when I, I moved around. Um, I moved around the country quite a bit as a kid and football was always a really great way to make friends. And so if I could show up at recess at lunchtime and play ball out in the schoolyard, I could immediately make friends. And so football was my first love. I might've played a season of T-ball or something else as a little kid, but that was pretty much it. Um, I, I love playing football. Um, I love, I love the, the energy and the excitement to camaraderie and making friends. And so through high school football was, was kind of, kind of my, my thing, my goal as a, a guy from Idaho that didn't grow past about five, nine, uh, a future in football probably wasn't, wasn't realistic for me. Um, I joke that I was, uh, you know, an an average to above average um, football player for Idaho, nothing special, but I, I, uh, I loved it. And I discovered training with weights, weight training when I went to high school. And I remember my first day walking into the weight room for like football testing. And I'd see these seniors in there moving weight that, that I, I, I didn't even think was imaginable, and I was—I uh, thought I was kind of a tough guy, and you know, I was kind of the linebacker playing guy, cracked some skulls a little bit in the middle school football, and um, I was a leader on my team. And I thought, oh, for sure, I'll be able to—I'll be able to move some weight too. And uh, I, you know, slapped some forty-fives on the bar, and for the life of me, I could not bench press one hundred thirty-five pounds, and it was one of the most embarrassing days. I remember, like, the left side went most of the way up, and I just kind of flailed there underneath the bar. And uh, o- over time I got invited by some of the older guys to, to start lifting weights after school with them. And the coaches said, you know, if you want to be a better football player, you better start lifting weights and and uh, training speed and agility and and pumping iron. And so I started doing that. And uh, the gains, because I had never really lifted before the gains came pretty quick at first. And I learned that I could turn that into a sport, so to speak. I, I could, I could compete. And uh, be- because I was a bit of a, gym rat i got a little obsessed i spent probably way too much time in the weight room doing a lot of stuff i didn't really understand but i also um, had a a really great coach i had a coach in steve rayborn that was uh, one of the coaches for team usa team usa powerlifting and he was such a a powerful mentor to help me uh, get to know the older guys that, that had been competing for a while and and also kind of bully me into competing myself which was really great. And so right from the beginning, I was able to, to compete in a state tournament, and qualify for a national tournament and go and win some medals. And um, over time just kind of kept lifting, um, kept playing football and just kind of kept grinding in the weight room and was able to win some um, team and individual state championships and some some regional championships and achieve all American status. And I, I took, it, um, took, took it as far as a, a regular guy lifting weights in high school and a, and a little bit into college would um, reasonably take that I, I was lucky to be surrounded by by some world champions and some people that set some um, world records of weights that seemed totally impossible. That was also really inspiring
0: man that's super cool actually you know it's uh, it's interesting Garrett as um I talked to I coach a lot of basketball players for that matter and we emphasize the importance of the weight room and that's in all sports uh, the weight room I've, I feel like the weight room they hear it all the time but it's not until they actually, start doing it consistently. And they see those gains that you were talking about, like, and they realize how it can actually impact them on the field or on the court or wherever it is into their sport that, that that they don't understand the importance of it. Once they see that though, that's where the confidence for an athlete really begins to grow. I'm curious. Like I know the powerlifting was your main focus. It kind of focused that way. as it shifted towards that sport? But do you, do you have anything specifically that you could say that you implemented from your weightlifting onto the football field, so to speak? Absolutely.
1: Just getting bigger, faster, stronger, the confidence to, to be, you know, a, a 16, 17 year old kid that can squat 500 pounds plus stepping onto the football field. Um, it, it brings with it, um, it brings with us some confidence that, that you can, you can take on the world and spending so much time grinding and suffering in a weight room, uh, usually with your buddies, the, that sense of camaraderie and that kind of can do attitude that comes from that learning that you can achieve things that maybe you didn't think were possible on a regular basis absolutely translates to the field
0: that's super cool i'm glad you said that Um, i'm going to encourage everybody as i do here um, while i'm talking to my guests i have my phone with me if you guys are listening to this on a mobile device which most likely you probably are uh, take your notepad out there's a notepad app just take some notes from what garrett's saying here you can rewind things that he says because that's super important Uh, for the guys that i've coached that's so awesome you said that i want I, i have seen so many athletes in today's world their confidence builds when they hit the weights, I've seen an athlete like from their sophomore year to their junior year, over the course of you know eight to twelve months, completely transform just by hitting the weight room. They might not be as skilled as somebody else that is like the same age, but I've seen them completely pass them up as far as their ability to either stay on the court or stay on the field because of the way that they've they've gained confidence, their strength, their agility, everything. Um, that's the importance of the weight room. It it can really take a, an under skilled individual and completely put them up there because it builds so much confidence. And as well as like, obviously physical and mental strength. Now, as far as your power lifting, what lifts, when you go to competitions, you're talking about state, state championships, national tournaments, uh, for power lifters, what are the, the lifts that they are watching for? Like, what are you going to, what are you training for? Um, it's not like a bodybuilding competition where you're trying to get symmetrical between all your stuff. You're just going for strength <clears throat> and trying to get the heaviest weight up there. But what lifts are you guys trying to, um, uh, I guess get get uh during your competitions what do you what do you guys uh, accounted for uh, yeah
1: squat bench press and deadlift it's kind of the, the three the three key lifts you know the grueling um, big dynamic lifts that's it's not not olympic lifts like you'd see see uh you know clean and jerk like you'd see on on tv during the olympics you know it's kind of the it's kind of those old school weight room meathead movements you know a, deadlift, a king of the lifts, a real heavy, deep, deep back squat and a bench press that you're not bouncing off your chest, you know, with judges, three judges surrounding you and they're, they're judging uh, various things. So, you know, a a weight room max is not the same as a competition max um, where there's, you know, judges and, you know, sometimes a crowd and commands to take the bar off the rack and start your lift. And um, if it's a bench press, you're going to be told when to press Bringing it down to your chest, being told by a judge when to press, and then also being told when to rack it. And so there's there's a it takes a lot of the ego out of it. You know you can't you can't half squat, you can't hitch a deadlift, you can't bounce a you know the bar off your chest um, after barely touching it with your butt up in the air on a bench press. Um, You have to you have to really put in the work so that you can do you can do the weight. And it's it's kind of one of those things where anybody can say that they, you know, squat or bench press or whatever it is. You know when when you you see them in the gym, or they're they're talking about their their uh, you know exploits, working out at, at the Anytime Fitness or whatever it is. Uh, but when there's judges there and and they're critiquing and they're oftentimes really really strict and kind of hardcore, um, it kind of is what it is.
0: So interesting, man. So those three main lifts in high school, we had four lifts that, that the football team and everybody would like pretty. Much, football team was the ones who were. Paying attention to it, but every athlete was trying to kind of make it. It was called the 1,200 pound club, but they were doing it through bench, squat, power cleans, and deadlifts. They included the power cleans in there, not clean and press, but just power cleans. Yeah, as a yeah. whole. Um, yeah, but, I think we did the, same. the Did you? Okay, so I was going to ask you, like, you were probably in the 1,500 pound club or more, weren't you? You're, you're probably one of those guys that was but, just like doing everything.
1: You, you know, I, I think, I think that um, with, with the coaching and the camaraderie and the time. That, that some of us really put into it yeah the, the numbers got got to a place that that maybe weren't super typical for for most high schoolers. And when you're treating uh, when you're treating lifting heavy weights like a sport, you know it's you get you get an opportunity to get those numbers up a, a lot higher. Yeah I mean we we had um, we had young ladies in, on our on our team um, that were national and, and world champions some that I'm still friends with today that were you know squatting well over 500 pounds.
0: Oh, dang dude look at the humility though like oh yeah we that was just not you won't even give a number you'll just say hey it wasn't typical of an average high school kid <laughs> like that's so awesome man it's super cool i i um have a lot of respect for for those who can put weight on a bar that's on your back and squat it that's actually very um intimidating uh to do that so i will ask you this when you're training so someone Garrett who is going in for a competition like this and is competing at a high level like you were um how do you train for powerlifting competitions? Are you training one body or one lift per day? Do you do auxiliary lifts like you'll see a lot of bodybuilders do? Um, or how does that training kind of consist? And I guess to that point, could you talk about the recovery process as well when you're trying to do powerlifting?
1: Man, you know, I, I think it's really dependent on the athlete and their coaching. Um, I was really fortunate back in the day to have great coaching. And so I, I had a workout um, waiting for me. Um, four or five days a week that was up on a board with percentages and a rep count. And uh, I could just take a look at my goal uh, PR and calculate the percentages. were all there for me. So I didn't have to do any math, just sort of a chart. And I could figure out exactly how much weight I should be pushing for how many, uh, for, for a required number of reps based on what week in the training cycle that I was. So if I was 12 weeks out, I'd be lifting heavier weights and maybe in that 12 to 15 range, just starting to build some of that muscular endurance and, and, uh, yeah, there are lots of auxiliary lifts and, and sometimes some stuff that looks a little weird, like doing board presses for a bench press, but it's maybe some two by fours on your chest, working on the lockout phase, um, deadlifting, um, off of a rack or off of plates, working on, on different parts, parts of the lift. And some of those auxiliary, um, exercises too are really, really important that, um, maybe not as important sometimes in the training as as the big three but they all come they all come together and help in terms of of recovery boy that that's something that we didn't talk about a lot back then um i think that when you're you know 16 17 18 19 years old you feel pretty invincible you might feel sore but it's just like kind of part of the deal um i I was fortunate to have a freezer full of elk meat all the time and uh it's so for for the most part you know you lift heavy um consume as much protein as you could and just kind of try to take care of yourself. Yeah. That, the, the science of, of recovery wasn't anything that I had in mind as a, as a teenage power lifter. I was, I was more concerned with just kind of being a meathead smashing weight and eating protein.
0: <laughs> I love it. Though. Hey, at least you got your protein in. That's, that's, that's a big concept right there. That's right. So, so here's one other thing and this can, this can be applicable to all athletes and that's why I want to ask this question. There's, we call people, there, I mean, we don't like to call them this, but this there are athletes that exist that we call practice all Americans that sure. okay, they can shine and practice. But as soon as the lights come on, either they don't have the mental toughness and that's kind of what we'll get into with kind of your strength here and your profession and how you got here and what you help athletes with. But um, either it's mental or maybe like physically when the lights come on that, I don't know if it's a, if it's adrenaline that shoots through like something happens to where they shut down and they just can't perform when the lights are on when it comes to game time well for power lifters did you ever experience something of that nature where you, you felt like you had this awesome training cycle for 12 weeks and then you go into a competition and you just don't feel like it's there um and, and if, if that's the case like how do you guys prepare to like be 100 percent come competition day
1: i i was fortunate that um performance anxiety wasn't something I, I experienced a lot in my life. I'm, I'm not a person I'm temperamentally that experiences a lot, a lot of anxiety. If we were to do a uh, look at my personality, maybe if we did an assessment, like a five factor model, I, I score really low in what's called trait neuroticism. I, I don't experience a ton of anxiety in my life, uh, but I did experience injuries. Um, and, and I definitely had had some competitions going in that, that I had a, a, some lingering injuries. I can think of a knee injury. Um, just a tweak that really plagued me. And uh, the the injury was something that, that held me back probably um, just as much mentally as it did physically. Just the worry of is this thing gonna hold up and and can I do what I, what I know I could do if it didn't hurt? And uh, I, I definitely I definitely experienced that. I think that um, just like in other sports, um, camaraderie, um, good leadership, and and the uh, the presence and power of a team can do a lot for a for for a powerlifter. Although the the sport is incredibly individual, it's just you on a platform and judges and uh, maybe a coach screaming at you from the background and uh, simulating that ahead of time is incredibly important. And so being being able to be in the gym and being you know all all geared up and ready to go and practicing the lift in a way that that is as real, just like a, a game speed practice or a scrimmage, like you might do in any other sports, really important. Um, I, I, uh, again, have, having the, the good fortune to have good friends and, and great coaches, um, I, I had people that I, I didn't know were sort of teaching me principles of, of mental performance or sports psychology. I don't know that they did either, um, but some of the conversations related to pushing through barriers and not quitting and being able to go to sort of a dark place in, inside of yourself to be able to push through the the agony and pain of of those last three or four reps that you just don't want to do and you're not sure you can do definitely add, added some some fuel in, in the big moments under the bright lights.
0: So you were learning the David Goggins style method of things before David Goggins really was anything in society. Like just yeah, pushing can't eat. hurt me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. That's cool, dude. That's it's cool to see what like powerlifting like every sport can really teach you something that's applicable to life in general but like powerlifting you learned a lot of those principles that's actually super cool and i want to know garrett as we wrap up like kind of just learning more about your powerlifting career did you have a favorite memory throughout the time of powerlifting maybe it was a competition maybe it was a practice maybe it was something a coach said or somebody that you were training with said i don't know do you have a favorite memory that stands out to you
1: you know um, my, my first national tournament um as a, as a sophomore in high school, I was able to to play second um, nationally in in my division in the squad. And, uh, I, I kind of had, I kind of had no idea. Um, I actually thought going in that, that I was just going to get totally destroyed. Um, I, I, I didn't have, there wasn't Instagram or, or anything like that back then. I, I had no clue how strong everybody else was. And to, uh, to finish the meet and to be sitting, especially with some older guys, you know, some some juniors and seniors that I thought were really cool on this big trip. To, I can't remember where we were in Nebraska or something. Um, to to hear my name called and to stand up and go to go get a medal um, that that I didn't know that I was going to. I, I got some other medals too, but that was the first one. And uh, to to get that um, that award and and doing so well. On such a big stage, it was such a shock. And looking back, it's kind of hilarious that I had no idea that I had done well. Um, I, I didn't even think to go look at the numbers because I just assumed that it, I, I didn't do that well. And even though know, I'd completed the lifts, and so I was just kind of hanging out. I, I happened to be there while they were announcing um, the winners just by happenstance. Uh, one of the older guys said, "Oh, let's go see who wins." And and I thought, oh, "Okay, whatever." You know, almost embarrassed because I thought that I, I probably didn't. And I hear my name. Kind of confused to walk up and get a medal around my neck is is kind of a cool moment of of camaraderie and, and team building and just a big confidence boost for me as a as a young athlete.
0: That's awesome, man. That's super super cool. Kind of hilarious, yeah.
1: I had no clue. It's like, oh, I did good.
0: Oh, huh. let's go, man. Hey, yeah. I, I I am curious. Um When you guys are going in, if nobody, so okay, listen. If somebody's listening to this and and you haven't watched a powerlifting competition or even seen anything, go YouTube it or something. You'll see some highlights they get kind of create like the atmosphere can get wild sometimes they're just like it's just everyone's hyped up when you're going to lift but i'm not sure of the rules are you allowed to listen to music while you're lifting or do you have to have air airpods out air, air, like headphones off and everything because sometimes when like people do marathons certain races won't allow you to use headphones because they don't want you being able to pace yourself that way i'm not sure how the rules apply but was there was there rules like that or did you have a, like a pre-lift routine before you went under the bar or went to go do a deadlift or whatever it may have been
1: yeah um you you, you wouldn't be able to walk out onto a platform with headphones on or, or something like that and, and a lot of the different rules depend on the federation that you're competing in right yeah. it's it's not like uh the nfl where it's just kind of one football league um there's there's all kinds of different rules so for example if you have wrist straps on uh, we would always have to make sure we took the little elastic ring off of our thumbs um because you weren't allowed to have a little lot even though it does nothing for you you know you um when you're deadlifting, you'd have to have some sort of protective something like tall socks um over your shins because the bar cuts up people's shins and they don't want blood all over the bar um ahead of ahead of lifting heavy weights you know it was so rushed um that it's like you have so many you have just like a couple minutes to get out on the platform and whether you're getting your knees wrapped or trying to get that belt on as tight as possible you're warming up in the back and just kind of waiting for your turn. Uh, my, my strategy was always just to try to stay really calm and not move much, uh, after i warmed up until I had to, that, that I didn't want to, um, expend any, any energy until I was ready to go so that I could go up focused. And I wasn't a big, uh, slap myself in the face, scream kind of guy. Um, that really works for some people. Um, and getting real excited on the football field was definitely something for me, um, but lifting there was uh, so much technique that I had to be so precise uh, that that probably wouldn't have gone as well for me. And so just trying to kind of stay as still and calm as possible, even though there's chaos happening around me, and just kind of remembering my cues and stepping out, stepping out to compete.
0: I like that, man. I, the reason I asked that question is everybody's so different, and we had talked about it off camera. Like I knew a, an individual who. Uh, competed. He's a really good power lifter. I worked with him for a, a couple of years over at my old job, and um, it always seemed like he was kind of that same what you're explaining right there. He was just kind of quiet, but there were a lot of guys I'd see doing exactly what so said. They got the chalk, and they're smacking it all over their heads, and they're just going, doing their thing, shaking their heads, and they're screaming, and that's fine. They'd hype themselves up, but then uh, you'd see guys like yourself probably like come right out there and just, boom, done. All right, go. right, let's go to work. Um, I just think it's, it's interesting how everybody has their own rituals and routines um I have my own thing too I always used to say this and this is the first time someone's ever heard me talk about it but when I was boxing um oddly enough I, I I love bone thugs and Harmony that's one of my favorite like bands in the world so people are like dude he's like listening to this crazy music but before a match before I'd ever go out and actually have a fight um I'd listen to Michael Jackson and it was the same song over and over and over again it was from Free Willy uh it was a song from Free Willy if anybody knows the song Michael Jackson sings it and I would listen to it on repeat so it would calm my nerves and then I'd go out there and I wouldn't have an adrenaline rush or anything. I'd just be calm and in my, my flow state. Um, and that was just, it was a weird thing, but that's how I was able to get into my flow state when I was training, totally different. I was always blasting like thug music and just having a good time getting hyped up. But when it was time to fight, I'd always, uh, yeah, make sure I'd listen to some Michael Jackson from Free Will That's Let's awesome. Go. <laughs> that's awesome. So, so Garrett, as we, as we uh, <clears throat> transition into your profession now, I'm curious you know, we, we talked about it. you're an LCPC, right? So we, we're going into the counseling world, the therapist world, the sports psychology world. Like what got you to that? When, at what point in your life, uh, whether it was your academic career or something, did you decide like, Hey, this is something I want to pursue as a profession going into the counseling space. Was it something in the family that runs in the family, like doctors and stuff, or was it something oh, you just It's uh, it's,
1: for? it's the opposite, um, of, of the family, the family business, <laughs> Um uh, my dad um, that raised me my my adopted dad he he was a green beret so he was a special forces operator um, which is uh, the the opposite of a psychotherapist you know um, I, uh, I, I I love to tell I love to tell this story even though it's kind of embarrassing um, that, that uh, for foreshadowed a bit of my profession in middle school um they're taking pictures at the end of the year for the uh, the superlatives in the yearbook, you know. Like best smile or whatever, and uh, and I thought for sure um, because of uh, um, how how the football season had gone, which we weren't very good, but I, I had a, a great season. I thought, oh man, I might be getting most athletic. They might have voted me most athletic, and I was definitely instead voted most helpful, which was really embarrassing. Let's say, of course, it was my buddy Chris that was most—he's possibly more athletic than I am, and uh, and and I remember thinking that, thinking, really me. I'm, I'm most helpful i don't see myself as very helpful um a, as a as a young person um, my, my life was a little strange um my my parents were um, my parents divorced um, when i was quite young and my my mom um, remarried and uh, I, I was adopted i had two uh, half-brothers um, and then my mom um, struggled with addiction and mental illness and passed away when i was 10 oh wow and uh and so then i i was then raised by um, by my dad my who adopted me and a, and a stepmother later, and I uh, got got a bunch more siblings, and uh, I somewhere along the way I, I developed um, a real care a real care for people. I didn't maybe um, except for maybe an eighth grade. I don't know. I did, I don't know that I did a very good job showing that. But I um, my my heart just kind of hurt for people and and their struggles. And some of that might have come um, a, a bit of a projection of my own. And then uh, like like a lot of Um, like a lot of young, young men, um, where, where I'm from, um, I spent two years on a mission for my church in Africa and, uh, it was an incredibly humbling experience living in Mozambique for two years. Um, one of the poorest countries in the world, I got malaria and Giardia and all the things. And, uh, and I, and I learned something about myself that I, I just really love people. And, uh, I want to, I want to be helpful. I don't want to have power over their lives. Um, I don't want to tell people what to do. But I, but I love being with people in the the good moments and the hard. And I I discovered that I had an ability to sit with people in the hard times and kind of keep it together. But I wasn't a person that experienced a a lot of highs and lows um, that would maybe be dysregulating or kind of take me out of the game um, when I was with people in their hardest moments. And so um, in in an academic career, I, I thought, as a teen, I thought for sure I'd be an attorney, you know, I was pre-law political science. And, uh, I, I kind of changed, changed course and started studying psychology, which is an awful degree to get, unless you want to get more degrees. And, um, so then, then I, I did that. I, uh, I, I kind of kept, kept falling. I I met some really great mentors in the the therapy space. Um, and I, I just kind of kept going to school and, uh, jumped into private practice immediately. And, and that's where, that's where I'm today here in my, my office.
0: Wow, man. What a, what a route and a journey to get there. See if somebody were just to like, seriously, like I think this is just one of those things where if I were to say, Oh, it's Garrett Crohn, who's an LCPC, he's a counselor, he's a therapist. Like, Oh, he just always wanted to be that way. Uh, but there was a lot of things that happened along the way to kind of build you into that, um, into that route, I guess, if you will. And I would never have known that had I not asked that question and and heard that response. That's actually really cool. Um, it's interesting how I, uh, I always say the Lord is always playing chess, not checkers. So he's always like strategically putting things in your path and he's helping you understand more about yourself and more about other people. And he's like doing things in your life to kind of direct you in a certain way. And from the fact that you said you got most helpful, uh, in in the football space and then like serving your church. no, I think it's yeah. awesome. This it made me laugh because like, now most, you're 13, I, like, you're like,
1: oh darn it, most helpful. Ah, it's not very tough.
0: <laughs> not tough, but it, it is though. It is it, when you get older, you realize that is tough. You're yeah. like, yeah, that is yeah. that's a, that's a real tough hashtag tough. But I think um we only
1: won one game that year, so it didn't really, you know.
0: <laughs> I love it, man. And then yeah, the church mission serving for two years in Africa, like the church mission in and of itself, for those who have served church missions in, in a similar, you know, regard, um, that's hard in and of itself. It's a sacrifice, but then going to Africa and being with people and understanding probably what they're like, it's a different lifestyle and just the humility that they show and being able to help them. It's just so cool. I love that. You said you learned that you just love people and you want to help. That's awesome because that's a, that's something that's missing in society today. I don't think that's a, that's not even a a hidden thing anymore. Like people just don't like people. Like everybody. It's nearly nearly vanished.
1: Uh, It's a, it's a, it's a manifestation of, of people's pain, their woundedness. And, uh, there, there are a few things that are more powerful than, than connection and community and people are absolutely starving for it and sometimes starving to death for it.
0: You're absolutely right, man, which is awesome that you're in this profession though. Somebody like yourself is actually getting out there to help people. And so I want to, I want to ask you a little bit more. We're going to learn what you're doing on the athletic side of things as well, but first, Garrett, if somebody wants to come and they're not even athletes, if somebody wants to come and take advantage of your services, and maybe they're starving for connection, they're starving for something. They 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 hear this and they're like, you know what, I want to talk to Garrett. You know, I heard him on Shane's podcast. I want to talk to him. How can they get a hold of you? That's the one thing I want to make sure we we let them know. Like, how can they get a hold of you to even discuss something about setting up an appointment and just getting all the details with you?
1: Yeah, what what a double edged sword. That sort of question puts me in a bit of a double bind because I'm um, I'm unfortunately. Um, uh, I'm in a double sort of a, a conundrum of a situation in my clinical practice that I'm incredibly busy and yeah, okay. uh, I'm often, I'm often not able to accommodate people real quickly. Um, but, but if they, if they were to, to, to reach out and just want to, uh, chat, um, or, or see, see when, when that could be a possibility. Um, I'm, I'm available via email. I'm a, I joke that, um, I'm a, I'm a letter writer and that also makes me an email writer. I, uh, uh, on the connection piece i have a job um like my my day job we'll talk about some of the sports stuff my day job as a therapist it can often be really sad it can be really yeah. sad I, I talk with people sometimes you know earlier today i had some really wonderful uh, pretty upbeat conversations and i had some really tough ones too and i've had you know a, a good a good mix throughout the week and something i started doing quite a while ago is i um, sending letters i'm a letter writer um, I have a, I have a rule for myself that every week I have to send out um, two letters of either hey I was thinking of you or a thank you note in the mail with a stamp with my terrible hieroglyphic looking handwriting every week and I don't do that because I'm such a good guy. I do it because it's a, it's what I'd call a protective factor that forces me to be looking for the good in the world and so even, even if i'm I'm not able, to uh maybe accommodate somebody into my my clinical practice right now i'd still just love to hear from them um and my email maybe you could even just like link it in the notes is is just garrett at Crone counseling k-r-o-o-n counseling.com um yeah it might, might take me a minute to get back to you but um the number of emails that's in there is often pretty high but i'm i, I love i love to meet new people in chat and i and yeah. i can often help people uh, link link people up with with other professionals in the area too if it's something maybe more urgent and i'm and i'm not available um, urgently
0: for sure for sure hey well, i mean what a what a crazy problem to have though like you're busy enough that means that people respect you enough to like utilize your services and chat with you you know that's it's actually a really cool thing speaks to your credibility and professionalism but i'll put the email here in the description if anybody wants to you know maybe reach out to garrett and you guys can start the conversation there uh, from the sports side of things, Garrett talk to us about you know your passion and your drive utilizing what you do in your professional world right now uh, and how that applies to the sports world and what kind of impact you're trying to make as we get into this part of the conversation man I love that
1: i'm a I love the world of psychology I, I joke that I'm this really weird mix of of a meathead and kind of king of the nerds um i'm I'm the guy that's reading like five books at once um, but I love uh, I have a um I, I did my best to basically build one, uh, like an anytime fitness in my garage. And, uh, it's usually full of, uh, full of people from my community, whether it's teenagers, um, or, or guys closer to my age. I, I, am I love, um, I love the blending of the two things. Um, and I'm, I'm a sports junkie. I, I love, um, football so much. Um, I barely missed for our, our local high school. I, I might've missed three varsity basketball games all season. I don't even like baseball, but I follow along on the stat line. Um, I, I just, I, I love sports. Um, whether it's, you know, from, you talk about boxing, I'm a old, old school by the Rocky Marciano, um, autograph in my, oh, in my home go. gym. You know what I mean? Like I'm a nerd, right? I love that stuff. I've seen Conor McGregor fight live a couple of times. Um, I'm a junkie and, um, and I, I learned pretty early on becoming a psychotherapist that, that there, there was a space for this sort of work um, in, in the world of sports. There's a lot of sports psychologists out there and there's a lot of people working in the mental performance space, but there aren't a lot of them that are also a clinically trained psychotherapist. There aren't a lot uh, of people in that space with the graduate training that um, know um, clinically with evidence-based practices and and you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours um, in in a seat with clients, depressed, um, treating things like depression and anxiety and a host of other things. And so, um, I a few years ago, I I kind of stumbled into working with some athletes. Um, the first high school athletes that came in and they were struggling with anxiety, and and what we found was the majority of the anxiety presented itself through sport. And um, we we started working on that and their performance on the field. Um, or on the court, or whatever it was, uh, started to increase, and their life satisfaction went up too. Their their um, levels of more generalized anxiety went down, and we were we were able to use sports as a vehicle for that. Um, since then, teaming up with um, with a good friend of mine, I was able to to get a grant and launch a grant funded program focusing on mental performance and sports psychology, working with mostly um, Nampa based teams and athletes. Um, and uh so we were able to provide some some services there to teams um working with some coaches um to to help level up their their internal mental game and then to improve improve performance on on the on the field of play um but also as a really powerful uh, secondary or ancillary benefit to that also was was improving um, mental health outcomes and um i i i love that working on the psychological side, the mental performance side in sports, um, the data reflects clearly that those young people are going to be less likely to show up in my office, um, needing you know significant clinical intervention from from somebody like me, if they're developing um, skills and competencies outside of of a, a therapeutic environment that they can they can learn a lot of the same skills. Um, on the field around the court with some, with somebody like me or with a coach or whoever it is and um those those will play a part in in their their day-to-day living as well and that doesn't mean that hard things won't happen and that just because you're an athlete you don't need to to talk with a, with a counselor I'm not saying anything close to that um, but but um but there are some competencies and some skills that that translate really directly and so since then working um, on my the grant front the grant funded side of things that was a lot of fun and uh, I, I've been able to um, just kind of um, one-on-one work, do just work with a ton of athletes from um, from pros, uh, making impossible amounts of money um, in their sport that are um, trying to learn how to you know recover from getting beat deep or trying to um, being able to come back from missing a shot or dropping a pass, or or the, their general approach to athletics and and to the high stakes the high stakes space that, that they operate, whether that also be maybe like um, draft preparation or getting ready for pro days and interviews all the way down to, to middle schoolers um, going to, you know, playing, you know, eighth grade B team basketball. Um, it's and what's what's fascinating um, for me is you take, you know, you take, you take millionaire athlete and you take, you know, eighth grade basketball player. At the end of the day, a lot of the transmitted skills are incredibly similar
0: oh yeah wow yes that's all these things i was taking notes here so cool what you're doing because i think all the athletes and any parent or a coach that's listening to this who has an athlete that they're in touch with right now like even coaches themselves like there's anxieties and such but one of the things you mentioned you mentioned it two or three times was like you're training these athletes you're helping work with them you know and the companies and skill sets that they're they're learning can be applied to their regular lives too. So you're seeing their everyday like anxiety start to kind of dwindle a little bit too, just because they're learning it. And I, and here's the thing I, I can't say name specifically, but I have coached players specifically that their anxiety in life is attributed to basketball. Okay. So, and some people would say, well, why don't you just quit playing basketball if it's going to make you so anxious outside of, it? but basketball is also their vehicle to get away from life. So they ru- run into this like, issue where they that's their that's their passion and their drive but it does put so much pressure on them that it causes it dominoes into the rest of their lives um such as school and family work and stuff so they don't want to give it up they want to learn how to fight through that and so that's where i could see like somebody like yourself helping them in that field because then it also dominoes in a good way that way it's a snowball effect i want to know gary from what you've experienced with the high level athletes all the way down like you said eighth grade basketball players whomever um what are some of the things that you have taught them about this though? Cause it's easy for us to say, Oh yeah, the mental side of things, just be confident. Okay. Well, how do you actually do that? So without giving away the house for free, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe explain maybe one or two things that you've been able to talk about. Like what's something that you've helped athletes do to gain confidence or to, to lessen their anxiety for like, their performance anxiety. So people can just say like, Oh, well, he's not just telling us to do it. He's actually giving us things that we can implement and do.
1: I, I love that. I, I think that oftentimes athletes, especially teen athletes, they, they are told, just be confident, have more swagger, do better, don't be nervous. It's just a game. Oftentimes people are not treating it, the people around them are not treating it like it is just a game. And the thousands of dollars that their family might be pumping into training and clubs, it's it is not it is not just a game. Oftentimes um there, there's a there's a whole lot more riding. On on these sports than the adults in their lives would realize, and uh, I I I think about um, man it, it just some of these the, the the common threads, and a lot of the common threads are anything or a piece of of the thread work there that is common is anything that we run away from that generates anxiety within us will only grow stronger. And something that I teach athletes is is that if if you're if you're worried about something, so say basketball generates a lot of anxiety. Well, I'll just quit basketball. It's like great. Your brain has just coded that basketball is dangerous. Your brain now believes the basketball is dangerous because it said run away, and you said cool, all right, I'll do that. I'll run away from it. Hide. Don't try. Leave. And oftentimes, um, coaches coaches and parents feed feed that monster, and they say, yeah, just let, let's don't don't go to class, don't go to school because you're anxious. Stay home avoid um, because you're feeling feeling anxiety now that that doesn't mean that the anxiety isn't awful and that the feeling isn't very real but the stra- strategy of avoidance um, giving up and sometimes there's appropriate reasons to, to step away from something that's obviously true um, but but the the avoidance and the hiding only makes that drag that dragon grow larger and stronger and so many times whether it's an, an eighth grader or, or a pro Talking about the things their um, their limiting beliefs. What are the things that they have come to believe about themselves that are limiting their ability to engage in the world and in their sport? And and where do those stories come from? Where does that that perfectionism or that fear that feeling within them? Where does it come from? And why are we giving so much loyalty to it? Why are we so loyal to this story that's maybe a really old story? oftentimes helping athletes separate their performance from the worth of their soul is a really important thing to do. And, and so from, from the, the tippy top, you know, extreme elite athlete, all the way down to, to younger athletes, and the youngest I'll work with is, is kind of that middle school range. That's, that's the low end that I'll, that I'll work with. Um, oftentimes there, there is a steep and deep entrenched connection between their performance whether it's how many points they score, or, or how fast they ran their forty, or what their verticals at, how much they can bench press, um, somehow that that has become linked to to their goodness as a human. Whether they whether they deserve space in, in life, and uh, r- oftentimes off the bat, there's going to be some some untangling some untangling of that, and uh, that that's 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 kind of a key feature that I that I love to talk about. And there's, there's plenty more to that we Uh can get into. Uh, But that's, man, that's something that just really, really grips me.
0: So interesting, man. As you're, as you're talking, like things are going through my head from myself as an athlete. I mean, man, like. You know, you mentioned something earlier, Garrett, too. Like, you get burned deep. And so, like, somebody's maybe like thinking too much about that. Like, I don't, like, it messes you up as an athlete. Like, there were times as a basketball player where I I came off the bench. And so, like, I always had this pressure on me, like, okay, well, I'm playing half a game and I know my role, but I better not mess it up or, like, yeah, that's all I'm going to be. I'm not a starter. I'm not the superstar player. But there were times where I'd, like, I'd miss a shot Mm
1: -hmm. or I'd
0: turn the ball over. And I knew what that did to my team. And some people would be like, "Oh, we'll just be like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Like you just keep, you got to keep shooting the ball, You got to keep shooting the ball." <laughs> right. And I, and I that's get it. that, but like, <laughs> yeah. that's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, There's more pressure to it than that because you can't just keep shooting the ball when you're coming off the bench, um, because your coach is going to pull you out. I know that a good coach would understand like concepts, but you know, you're not going to want your player who's missing to shoot ten times if they're coming off the bench. You want your superstar player to shoot, and it, it ruins yeah, the, okay. of the game. It's okay.
1: It's it's okay if Kobe if Kobe misses a lot of shots. In fact, he has the record for most missed shots. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I love, I love bringing that up with athletes. Like, do you know who missed the most shots ever? You know, and they they name somebody that kind of stunk, you know, like, well, maybe it's Shaq. Cause of all those free throws, you know, it's like, no, it was Kobe. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they're always yeah, so man. shocked.
0: No, for sure. It, it, it's true. Like, but it, it, it's the, one of the, those things. So it's like, it plays in an athlete's head and it played in my head even to where, like now as a coach, I've had experiences where, like, an athlete, just this club basketball season, I mean, there was a, an athlete who um, turned the ball over at the very end of the game, and uh, we ended up losing by two. And in in his mind, he was the reason we lost the game. You know, it's a typical, yeah, like, and I'm trying to uplift him. Like, no, nah, man, we had 10 turnovers in the first half, and we were down by 11 at halftime. You're trying to explain it to a kid. and But for some reason, like, you're trying to help them get over that hump so they don't have to deal with that going on in, a, in, a, in the tournament's, in the, in the future and stuff. And so like athletes struggle with a lot of this stuff, man. And that's why we need somebody like yourself because the general public wouldn't even think that, but if you're an athlete, you got so much in your head that that goes into your head to, based on your role and your experience and your coach yeah. and this and that and your teammates. So sometimes you, you do need help with this. Um, I want to ask you, you mentioned something earlier about like, visualizing you had talked about like simulating your powerlifting tournaments. I'm, I'm curious, like visualization, is that something that you talk a lot about with your athletes that you, that you work with in regards to the mental side of things?
1: Huge, huge. And it's, it's really, um, it's really one of four, four key concepts that, that I think are, are absolutely essential. And some of what we'll talk about here in a little bit, some of the, the plans, some of what I have coming up, um, that that's, that's a key feature in the training that I do is, um, Mastering mindfulness, which can sound a whole lot like sitting, you know, crisscross applesauce with somebody ringing a gong behind you. Um, I guess it could. That's not really the way that that I like to go about it. But mindfulness and guided imagery. Um, There's uh, really kind of wild research data that shows athletes that perform uh, with certain while implementing certain strategies perform in their head um the the activities that they're going to be competing in later that their performance um, increases and some of the the, some great research comes um, even from free throw shooting that you you can increase your free throw percentage by following certain strategies of guided imagery and so the imagery is guided somebody's guiding you and then they teach you how to do it and that's something that i've done with athletes for a long time and many of them have seen really, really uh, stark differences. And so being able to know how to harness the power of your mind, sort of your inner mind, your mind's eye or whatever, it sounds kind of, it it starts to sound kind of hokey. And that's why I like to present some of the clinical data, you know, the researchers at Duke or wherever able to say, look, I know it sounds weird, but if you do this the right way, you can become better on the court, on the field, whatever it is, because your brain is getting mental reps. And it's very different than thinking like, oh, what am I gonna do? Okay, when they call that play, I go to the right. Okay, great. It's very, very different. And, and it's something that often does require somebody like me with with a certain degree of, of training to sort of teach people how to do. And then if they'll be a, a little disciplined on the back end and treat it like a training session, even, even if it's short, their, their performance will increase.
0: Dude, this is this is so cool, Garrett. Because I'm I'm geeking out about it as you're talking. Um, these are the principles and stuff that I wish I would have known when I was in my actual like competition days in my career. Obviously now I still play city league basketball and stuff, but I'm not in a boxing ring getting my head smashed in anymore. I'm not competing for anything special for basketball. Yeah. Like I'm coaching and stuff, but I'm not as a player. And I remember something specifically here a shift in my basketball career it was after I served my church mission. I served a two year mission in Brazil. And then I came home and I was 21 years old and I completed that. And that was actually when I started to take off with my basketball athleticism. I started to like, I was more confident. I was stronger, bigger, stronger, faster. I was going to go play, you know, college basketball at that time. Ended up getting married. Big mistake on my part on that one, but we won't go there. But anyway, that was my, <laughs> that marriage ended and that wasn't a good thing. But anyway, I do remember though, at one point, I remember one time I was training and I started doing visualization. Like I stopped shooting the ball. I was doing shooting drills and I stopped shooting the ball like ex- like hoping that I'd make it. I started shooting the ball expecting that I'd make it. Like I'm going to make this. Like, And it shifted the way that I did any like pre-training. When I'd go and I'd be like driving to the gym, I'd be listening to, this sounds so, like you said, hokey. Like it's like, it sounds weird. I listen to like meditation music and I'd be like, okay, yeah. I'm going to go through 500 shots today and I'm going to make... 350 of those 500 shots, I'm going to make them. And I know exactly where I'm going to be when I make them. So when I got to the gym, I'd start shooting them. And I was like, I've already been here. Like I've been (laughs) here in my mind. I know what I'm doing off the dribble. I know what I'm doing here. And so I know it's probably not even close to what you're doing to help these athletes. But in my head, I remember that's what shifted me from a confidence perspective, because then after that point, like I've always been that way for the last 13 years, just always kind of like I've visualized everything. And I wish I would have known those things and had somebody that was a professional that could have helped me with those things when I was younger. and, uh, was actually still in, in my athletic career as far as like competition wise. So I know that sounds weird. People are going to be like, Shane, wrap up your thoughts, man. Cause that took me a while to get that out there, but as great. you're talking, I'm like, everything's kind of flying it. around in my yeah, head. I can see the, I
1: can see the, I can see the wheels turning. I'm kind of a it's professional at noticing wheels turning. I can, I can see that happen.
0: Yeah. Dude, <laughs> That's you're awesome. probably, I've been here before. Um, uh, okay. So Garrett, talk to us th- about this. So you're talking about what you provide to athletes. I want to let the athletes know that you are here to help them. So. We've got something coming up in July that you're going to be you're going to be working with um, that's specific to this community here in Idaho. Uh, so I want to share that with the audience right now because we're going to sound clip it too and put it on social media and everything. But I want people to know what's coming down the pipeline next month in July.
1: I'm planning to bring a, a groundbreaking, game changing experience to athletes here here in Idaho in the Treasure Valley. Our plan is to shake up and break up the paradigm. That a lot of athletes have have been using to approach sports. When uh, Shane, when you and I were kids, we we're about the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody had nobody had a, an outside of school strength and conditioning coach. Very, very, very few kids. Um, it, it was uh, totally outside the box. There was there was a place here in the valley that provided amazing training, but it was uh, you know it's hard hard to get there. You know, for me being you know a Nampa to Meridian, I'm, I'm not you know, driving my 76 F-150, you know, to, to there and to, and the ability to pay for it. There's just the one spot, um, the, the results the athletes got were incredible, but, but there was, there was a lot of barriers to entry to that. Fast forward to today and, um, you're hard pressed to find a basketball player, a varsity level basketball player that is not also playing club basketball, that isn't working out after school at parisi or off the field or d one of these other places there's others that are fantastic i I walk in over at metal sports in nampa and i i walk in and see these eighth graders in parisi there's they have an an eighth grader over there that can he can dunk a tennis ball and squat 425 right you know these these kids are are making these incredible improvements over at, at at a place like metal sports parisi that just uh, blow my mind. And it's kind of seems like everybody's doing it. But when you and I were kids, I I can imagine taking, I did taking that, you know, proposition, you know, to my parents, Hey, I would like to go do this. And they're like, you work out all the time. What are you talking about? You go to, you know, you go to varsity athletics, like a zero hour workout class, you lift weights after school. What are you talking about? You're fine. And, um, the mental game, mental performance training is the next frontier that in, in the coming years at many athletes now, when they have kids or whatever it is, they're going to be looking back, just like you just said, and they're going to be saying, I wish I had had access to that. I wish I had known something about that. Just like I can imagine the difference of having like a speed coach for me yeah. in high school, the difference that my, my potentially, who knows, um, but the potential difference that, that I could have experienced on the football field and so many of my friends as well. And, and so that's what we're doing. We're launching the Helix Mental Performance Camp in July, July 20th through the 22nd. Um, it's going to be a metal sports in NAMPA, where a, a lot of your um, listeners would be familiar with, with basketball tournaments and volleyball tournaments. It's for uh, it's for boys and girls. We're doing one day for middle schoolers, which is is going to be the that first day, the the 20th, and then the 21st and 22nd is going to be for high schoolers, all um, all grades, all sports. We're bringing a, a holistic approach in the future. There'll probably be more sports-specific approaches, but we hope that we can get the athletes to, to into this um, group setting to build some some powerful competencies um, in in four specific areas, but with some some really great coaching. I'm going to be there coaching. Um, I'm going to be providing uh, the the skills that that I teach, um, right, pros down to middle schoolers. I'm going to be teaching those to the group. And we're also gonna have some other coaches and teachers, people that that are in this space as well, and some elite level athletes come and share their experiences. And so I'm gonna be teaching athletes um, the the power of mastering mindfulness and unleashing the power of guided imagery. And so like we just talked about, I'm gonna teach them how to to hijack their brain so that they can get reps outside of the practice room, outside outside of the gym. Um, And it'll absolutely transform things from them. Um, Along with that, Uh, a concept that I think is super important is distress tolerance, being able to tolerate distress. And so we're going to build unshakable distress tolerance over the course of, uh, for for the younger, younger athletes, just a day, um, a little bit of work on that goes a really long way, turns out. And for the, for the older athletes, the high school kids, um, we're going to be able to hammer that a little bit more. The ability to tolerate distress when the lights are bright, when things are hard, being able to handle it so that they don't shrink. So, so many people they're they're uh, they're like you said, they're weight room warriors, they're practice warriors. But when that clock is down to just seconds ticking away instead of minutes and seconds, or or when it's allowed, it's allowed in the gym. Maybe it's right at tip off or right at kickoff. Being able to tolerate that distress and have some specific strategies for managing and uh, and. For, for a lot of people completely eliminating that anxiety that, that ultimately holds them back and limits their performance. We're gonna, we're gonna smash that. Um, the, the third skill is um, learning more about emotional regulation, emotional mastery. Regulation is, is the name of the game. Being in the driver's seat for our emotional world. Now that, that obviously applies to everywhere else in life. As a, as a dad and a coach myself, I gotta be able to, to keep it together. And many athletes I, I've watched, especially post-COVID, um, many athletes that, that I go and watch, and especially um, high school, I, I go to a lot of high school sports and watch and cheer on um, athletes um, that I know or I've worked with. And I watch a lot of young people not be able to handle setbacks. Um, for, for a while, I was uh, just using the stopwatch on my iPhone and watching athletes take themselves out of the game after picking up a foul or missing a shot or missing a tackle and i'd just be watching them because it's kind of when you're you're kind of in the space it's kind of obvious when it's happening and i'd start a timer and sometimes i'd approach them later and be like hey man did you know that after you picked up that foul in the third quarter the way you responded by getting so angry you know arguing with the ref throwing your hands up you effectively took yourself out of the out of two and a half minutes of gameplay it's like man if, if you're if you're coming off the bench like you talked about two and a half minutes of gameplay i mean that that might be it and yeah. if you are essentially rendering yourself useless to the team you're just a warm body out there to maybe get the ball and pass it or you're going to miss your next six shots because you're completely dysregulated what if we what if we were able to hijack that neurobiological physiological process so that you could stay in the game and then that fourth that fourth aspect which is uh, maybe my favorite is just leadership Leadership. Uh, leaders lead. They learn how to lead. They're not winging it. Leadership isn't just yelling loud. Um, as a young athlete, I thought leadership was just yelling loud. So I just yell out when we were doing jumping jacks. Um, but that's not leadership. Um, leadership. I've learned um, um, being able to to be a, a mentor at a at a camp that runs at a, a Utah, and Wyoming called Camp U. Camp U leadership. It's it's for um, it's strictly for elite elite athletes. Um, I have learned that leadership is relationships and so often, um, high school teams have, uh, almost like a fungus, like a cancer that gets created by, by awful culture. And without, without exceptional student athlete leaders, there will not be a culture of leadership and there won't be a culture of winning. Too many programs, um, have, have athletes that are either all in it, uh, for themselves. They don't really care about their teammates. Um, I was recently um, talking about leadership and presenting at a high school just recently. And I asked the question, just sort of rhetorical to have them think on, I asked these seniors, how many of you know the freshmen and sophomores names on, on the, the freshmen JV teams? So maybe it's a sophomore team. How many of you know their names? And you can see a bunch of them think like, I don't, I don't know their names. I think that stuff wow. is essential. I think it's essential. I think it's essential and creating, um, creating a ironclad rock solid culture, starts with leadership. The greatest movie quote of all time comes from Remember the Titans, when Julius tells Gary that attitude reflects leadership, attitude reflects leadership. And uh, we're going to teach we're going to teach these um, teach these athletes essential skills, communication, decision making um, outside the box, innovative problem solving, teach them a little bit about empathy, too. Um, Because if if you want to win a championship, you better have culture. You know, uh, some, sometimes you can ride on just one or two, one or two athletes that are, that are game changers, but you get those every, maybe once a generation. For the most part, you're gonna win with culture, camaraderie, friendship, and leaders. And leaders gotta lead, but they're they're oftentimes not given um, the proper skills to know how to lead. The the, the kid that's, um, the athlete that's maybe kind of loud or, or extroverted, they become the leader. And and that's great. They're, they're in a position, they already got some skills and competencies there. But boy, what, what if we were able to apply evidence-based, legit, real world leadership strategies to that 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 energy that they might already bring. And then help also the more introverted players that maybe aren't aren't the loud guy yelling in the huddle. Maybe we can help them learn how to lead in a way that works for them too. Coaches um, are underpaid and overworked. Um, Coaches, especially in our area, they're they're uh, typically paid peanuts. They do it for the love of the game. And uh, I respect that so much. And so I don't expect coaches to be able to also be you know a, a psychotherapist and a mental performance coach like no they're they're not just like you don't want me coaching your basketball team when i'm not that guy um you, you don't want me getting on the whiteboard the x's and o's but you do want me on the whiteboard with the brain with the brain and with the heart um that that's the stuff that i know and so um t- similarly um sometimes uh we we feel a, a coach could feel like they they don't really know they don't really know what to do in terms of, of their culture. They don't really know what to do with the, the internal space of their athletes. And and that's what I bring to the table. And so this camp, the Helix Mental Performance Camp, is specifically designed to not overload, but to be able to download into these athletes core competencies that are actionable and usable immediately. And so that after the camp is over, as they're leaving, they're they're going to have some skills that they're going to be able to take back. To their teams, they're going to be able to share some of that. Sure, it's better if they're there to learn it, but they're going to be able to level up immediately. Along with that, we're going to have um, we, we have a few uh, confirmed uh, Boise State athletes to come in and speak. Um, um, Jace Whiting from the basketball team is really excited to come and share some of his journey. Um, point guard, fantastic player, he's uh, he's he's the the future down there at uh, at Boise State on the basketball court. And to be to be a freshman coming in with not a whole lot of time to prepare, um, coming in and, and getting meaningful, legitimate minutes in crunch time and um, being able to perform in the way that he was and overcome some of the really obvious hurdles that anyone in that situation would undoubtedly face. He's gonna be able to share that with us. Tyler Crow is a running back um, from Napa, from my neck of the woods, is going to be there to talk about his journey of, of being a guy that nobody really believed in. They had to to train, train harder than anybody has ever trained to to make it on to Boise State's uh, roster and to to be scholarshiped and to be a guy that contributes in the level that he does. is fantastic. Um, and then we're we're hopefully working working on deal to get uh, Taylor Green down there to be able to share some of his journey as well. Um, we we should have some some other um, ex. X pros and, um, some, some other areas coming and some, some former, uh, coaches, Chris Ulmer, who was a Idaho baseball player of the year, uh, back when, and his, um, coached baseball is also a really powerful business mind is going to be there to, to coach people up, um, and some up and coming, uh, an up and coming sports psychologist, Hiram Priest, who's at the cutting edge, um, in, in sort of the, the research space. He's not out in practice yet, but he's, um, he's a change maker in the space already is going to be able to be there too and some some other people will be there um but we're we're trying to bring a product and an experience that's unlike anything that's ever happened especially here um and proving proof of concept getting people there getting people in the door um from there in the future we'll be able to to expand expand that and include people like you shane to be able to come in and share um hard thought hard-earned wisdom with these athletes
0: this how's so awesome, man. Like I am like so stoked and I hope everybody who's listening to this right now is feeling the same exact way. Like this is baller. So how do, how do we sign up? How does somebody sign up? They're like, Hey, we got to get there. How does somebody sign up for this and get registered for your guys's camp?
1: Yeah. Helix, Helix MP, MP stands for mental performance, helixmp.com. That'll take you to the website. You'll learn a little bit about me. Um, see some of the people, um, that are that are coming, learn a little bit about the camp, why I'm doing it, um, um, dates and times, some contact, um, helixmp.com. That's that's the greatest place to sign up. Click on the click on the button, sign up today. In um, in terms of cost, we wanted to we wanted to make the cost. Um, um, reasonable, but also pay for the time of all these experts that are coming in. Um, yeah. Nobody, nobody is involved in in this camp to to try to make a million dollars. We we didn't set the prices that high. Um, so so really, for the the cost of uh, you know like two meetings with me, if you're on on the high school side, um, you're going to get the the input and training from all those different people, including me, including my time and my contact, so that you'll be able to keep in touch. And when there, when there is an issue um, or question that pops up, you'll, we're going to make best friends. And uh, that, that's, that's something I kind of can't help but do with people is we're going to make best friends and um, create, create a, a community and a culture of, of not just smashing weights and running fast. Man, in, in today's world, everybody is big, strong, and fast. Um, you, you see, you see it with the, the amount of people coming out of the Treasure Valley that are signing letters of intent every year. It's absolutely through the roof everybody's bigger faster stronger um, but the place that we have been neglecting and and not because anybody chose to neglect it the the services just haven't really been available the place that's been neglected is the mental game and and i think that that is the that's the next and you know maybe final frontier of this athletic game and uh we're, we're going to change some things if if uh, people show up and buy in
0: and participate Oh man, we're going to get the word out there for you. I'd encourage everybody who's listening to this too. I put this in the description of the podcast, helixmp.com. Make sure to check it out, get registered, get the word out. If you guys know about this, get the word out, share it. A simple share on social media is huge. Like it goes a long way. Uh, So help us like, don't be too proud to like throw something out there. I think this is huge. Everything you said there, Garrett, and I think anybody who's listening can attest to this is like distress tolerance, emotional regulate. There are so, (laughs) I'm just going through my head right now, even as a coach, just like, Thinking about players on my team, one in particular, I mean, there's times, you know, uh, you get a little shoulder from the other guy. So you spend three possessions in a game going back and forth, just like shoving them and hoping the ref doesn't see it. Then when the ref does call a foul, then you get a technical because you start barking at the ref. Yeah. It's like, dude, took yourself out of the game for three possessions and it cost us X amount of points. Like, And then it's like, can we get, we need you in the game because of your talent. Let's get you, you know, be able to like figure that side of the things out. And if you can just calm yourself, then, then things are good. And I will say this if anybody wants to like uh, apply this to a professional athlete, I'm not the biggest Jimmy Butler fan. I've, I've been, oh, I've always stated that. Like, I don't, I, I, I like, I respect him as an athlete for sure. But one of the things I really respect about his game is not his physical talent. It's actually his ability to regulate his emotions. If you ever watch Jimmy Butler, he knows he's not the best shooter in the world, but he will, if he makes or misses it, he's neutral with all of his, like he never complains about a foul call ever. If he misses a shot or a teammate misses a shot, he just goes. He goes back on defense and he just plays the game. You you'll never really see him go too high or too low. He stays pretty neutral and I think that's a big reason why Jimmy Butler, who has had this up and coming, like I mean, he's worked his way into being a, a, a pretty much a superstar in the NBA at this point. Into the NBA finals for the second time. He's worked his way there. And the reason for that is because of his ability to like keep his emotions in check while he also competes on the physical side of things at a high level. And I think that's just something if you want to if you want to say like a real life application of these types of things. I mean, obviously, leadership, he doesn't get to like, I mean, all of the things that Garrett just said, I'm sure Jimmy Butler has applied all of that into his game. So I'm just going to tell you guys, this is going to be huge. Um, I appreciate you sharing it, Garrett, and sharing your expertise with us today on the show. Yeah, and,
1: and Shane, Shane, I would just add, um, if we you put put my email in in the description on this as well, the podcast and the video, reach out to me. Um, I'm 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 a regular human that loves human. I'm an extrovert. I'm a ten out of ten extrovert. If you have questions about, especially about the camp, the Helix Mental Performance Camp, email me. I don't want a lack of information or. A, confusion of like oh what do I do um, email me I'll call you I'll have I'll have a member of our team call you and and we can we can walk you through it if you know if, if there if there are other limiting factors um, for for your athletes maybe cost is an issue maybe travel is an issue or something like that reach out to me and and let's let's figure this out. Um, we we want to provide a service to as many athletes as possible get people in the door so that they can see the power of what we're able to provide. Um, This it's it's not the Helix Mental Performance Camp like it's it's not therapy it's not group therapy it's not come in and lay down on a couch and tell me about your dreams it's nothing like this this is going to be an environment that that is certainly part educational but it's it's going to be clearly an athletic environment we're going to be at metal sports in Nampa Um, we're we're going to be you know in in gyms there's going to be activities where we're going to be applying some of what we're learning in in real time and watching watching what what our mind can do and not in any sort of hulky way in a very scientific evidence-based sort of way we're gonna have a ton of fun um and again i just I just want to tell people like it's not this isn't group therapy this isn't you you're, you're not coming in um with a whole bunch of other athletes um to to dig up dirt and talk about that kind of stuff if that's something that needs to happen like we, we can figure that out um but what what this is is leveling up the mental game to level up the totality of the game Cause everybody's big, everybody's strong, everybody's fast. Everybody's playing club basketball. Everybody's doing seven on seven tournaments. Everybody's playing club volleyball. Everybody's on the travel team for softball. Everybody has got it their you know, individual hitting coach, soccer coach, travel team, everybody's got that what they don't have are the specific skills from an expert to take up here, their mental game to the next level. And that is, um, technically and literally what, what we can provide. In a way that just saying "do better, be motivated" is 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 not going to work because that that's not skills based. You know, it's like saying "catch better, throw better, shoot better." That doesn't help. That doesn't work at all. And so, um, what what we're bringing is very different than than any of that. And if there are barriers, barriers to entry, reach out to me. Send me an email. Um, let's chat. Um, if you're confused or you need more information, reach out to me. I'm a, I'm a real life human um, that loves to talk to people and loves to. We'll probably end up having dinner at my house or something afterwards. I don't know, but um, just re- reach out, reach out and uh, let's let's communicate and touch base. Um, and then July 20th through the 22nd, that 20th first day for middle school only. And then the, the older kids 9th through 12th on the, those next two days, Friday, Saturday. And um, we're going to do our best to bring in the biggest names that we can to be able to share their journey and their application of skills, what they've learned from implementing skills like this and some content experts. Um, it, it'll be, it'll be a few days that, um, that you won't, you won't regret and will absolutely change things.
0: Greatly appreciate your time, Garrett. I want to just say, as you stated right before you explained what the camp was groundbreaking, game changing, uh, groundbreaking and game changing experience in Idaho. I absolutely think that that's what's going to happen here. So I appreciate you sharing your story with us, Garrett. We're looking forward to getting this out there and I'm, I'm looking forward to the, you know, continuing our, our friendship and our relationship here as well. And, um, Yeah, I just appreciate you. And for all the listeners out there, again, if you guys enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so that you can listen to the, the interviews that come every single week. And make sure you check this out. I've got the descriptions in the podcast. And again, we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.